The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. a wonderful music service we've had tonight. I have enjoyed it. When I saw all of these young people up here singing, I could not help but think of something Dr. Vance Havner used to say. He said, youth is a terrible thing to waste on kids. <laughs> but I sure have enjoyed the service thus far. Our revival is halfway through now. We have five services, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and so we've come to the halfway point, so let me encourage you to buckle up and be sure and be back tomorrow night and Wednesday night, but this is an outstanding Monday night crowd. Thank you so much for coming. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 18, and as you're turning there, it's my joy to present to you tonight, visiting with us. Huell and Pam Mosley. Huell and Pam, would you stand right there where you are, please? Just stand up. Huell was my minister of music for many years at Kirby Woods Baptist Church in Memphis. He's now retired. They live down not far from Peach Park in Clanton. But I love these folks. Thank you, Huell and Pam. God bless you. Well, amen. Brother Mike. Good to see you, Miss Mary. If I were 20 years younger, I would have two votes tonight. I would vote to disband the pulpit committee and then vote to call me as your pastor. <laughs> but I'm not 20 years younger. <laughs> I've been there and done that and got the t-shirt, all right? All right. Matthew 18, verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them. And he said, Verily I say unto you, Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever, therefore, shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. There is a philosophy of preaching that is called big idea preaching. If you know anything about the homileticians or teachers of preaching, uh, Haddon Robinson has probably written more books about preaching than anybody else in our day. And Haddon Robinson is a pretty big proponent of big idea preaching. What big idea preaching is simply is this. You take a passage of Scripture, you find the big idea in that text, and then you build your sermon around that big idea. 
And in a lot of passages of Scripture, that works, and it works very well, because there are some passages of Scripture, they only have one big idea, and all the rest is there to enforce that big idea. But there are some passages of Scripture that have more than one big idea, and the one that I have read for you tonight is one of those. There are at least two big ideas in this passage of Scripture. And if it's, I'm going to deal with the second one first and the first one second. Is that all right? Well, just well, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> the second big idea in this passage of Scripture that I want to deal with first is child evangelism. Can boys and girls really be Saved, And I want to tell you, this passage of Scripture indicates that they really can be saved. Jesus refers to these little ones which believe in Him. You know, when it comes to the doctrine of salvation, the Bible is very, very clear. The Bible makes it very clear that people need to be saved. It doesn't just say that some folks need to be saved. The Bible teaches that everybody needs to be saved. Everybody doesn't need a new house or a new car or even a new spouse. But everybody needs to be saved. And so the Bible teaches that people need to be saved. And the Bible teaches that people can be saved. The Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so the Bible teaches that people can be saved. Salvation is not something that is presented that is unattainable. It's not some great concept that is unreachable. God tells us that people really can be saved. Your neighbors can be saved. The people that you work with can be saved. The people you go to school with can be saved. People need to be saved and people can be saved. And the Bible is also very clear on how to be saved. That's not an issue of debate, and God makes it very clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Salvation is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus plus something. It's not Jesus minus something. It is Jesus alone who saves. We sing that hymn triumphant. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves. And so the Bible's very clear about the doctrine of salvation, but there's one question, and I think as a traveling preacher, it's the question I hear more than any other about salvation, and it's this one, and God never deals with it. How old does a person have to be to be saved? The Bible never deals with that. God never deals with it. And you know how we Baptists are. When, when God is silent about something, we just try to help him out a little bit. And so we've come up with this idea of the age of accountability. Now, what is that? There's more in the Bible about concubines than there is about that. That's just the flat truth. God tells us we need to be saved, we can be saved, and here's how to be saved. But he never deals with the issue, how old does a person have to be to be saved? Because there's not an age that a person has to be saved. 
we saw some children up here tonight in the choir singing. And, and, and I love to hear boys and girls sing. I tell you, that little blonde-headed girl, I wish my grandson would meet her quick. <laughs> I mean, she looks like a Pittman to me. I'm just being honest. <laughs> but you take a little boy or a little girl that grow up in a Christian home. They have a Christian mom and a Christian dad. And they're in Sunday school, and they're in children's church, and they go to children's choir, and they come to vacation Bible school, and they go to kids' camp. And and this little boy and girl who grow up in a Christian home, in a Christian environment, usually they're going to come under conviction by the Holy Spirit early on because the Word of God has just been all around them, and the Holy Spirit of God applies it in their heart. And usually those boys and girls are going to get saved at an early age. But you take a little boy, a little girl, they don't grow up in a Christian home. Their, their mom and dad don't talk about the Lord. The only time they hear the name God is when dad uses God's name in vain. They never go to church. They never go to Bible school. They, 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 that's just not a part of their life. They're not brought up in that environment. And so those boys and girls are not going to come under conviction. You see, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Nobody can be saved apart from the Word of God. That's the tool the Holy Spirit uses to bring conviction in your life. And so those boys and girls probably are going to go up never coming under conviction unless somebody tells them about the Lord. Maybe a neighbor, maybe a friend, maybe a grandmother or a grandfather, but somebody has to tell them about the Lord. But I want to tell you, boys and girls can be saved. And that's what Jesus said here. Little ones that believe in me. But he even goes a step farther than that. Jesus said it would be better for a person to tie a millstone around their neck. Now, millstones came in different shapes and sizes. Some of them were about that tall and weighed a few hundred pounds. Some of them were 10 feet tall and weighed thousands of pounds. But now listen, it really doesn't matter which one you're talking about. If you're out in a boat and you have a millstone that weighs thousands of pounds or hundreds of pounds, makes absolutely no difference. You tie a rope around it and tie the other end around your neck. You throw the millstone in the water and whither it goeth, thou followest. (laughs) What Jesus was simply doing, he says it would be better for a person to commit suicide. It would be better for a person to take their own life than to be a stumbling block in the way of children coming to Jesus. Now, that's pretty strong, but that's exactly what he said. And so boys and girls can be saved. Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're a child. Maybe you're a little boy. Maybe you're a little girl. And you've been thinking about giving your heart to Jesus. And you've been a little timid. You've been afraid. You don't have to be timid. You don't have to be afraid. You can come give your life to Christ even tonight if you want to do it. You don't even have to have your parents' permission to come to Jesus and be saved. Now, I believe you want your parents' permission to be baptized. You want your parents' permission to be a member of the church. But you don't have to have anybody's permission. If God speaks to your heart, you just come give your life to Jesus and let him work the rest of it out. And so if you're a mom or a dad here tonight and you have a son or a daughter, a boy or a girl, and they're not saved, 
Maybe tonight during the invitation, why don't you just look at them and say, would you like to go forward? I'll go down the aisle with you. I'll go with you. So that's one of the big ideas in this passage of Scripture, child evangelism. Boys and girls, you can be saved. Jesus will save you. And that's all I'm going to say about that. The other big idea in this passage of Scripture is found there in a question in verse 1. In verse 18, the verse 1 of chapter 18, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, and here's the question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, isn't that just like adults to ask a question like that? Well, isn't it enough just to be in the kingdom of heaven? Who cares who's the greatest? Boy, they better be glad I'm not Jesus. I'd have barbecued them on the... Hey, there's a whole lot of people better be glad I'm not Jesus. Washington, D.C. is full of people better be glad I'm not Jesus. I'll tell you that for sure. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That little phrase there at the beginning of verse 1 says, at the same time. Now, that ties us back up to the end of chapter 17. And do you know what Jesus was talking about at the end of chapter 17? He was talking about paying taxes. I have never preached on paying taxes and seen anybody lose their breath shouting. I have never preached a sermon on paying taxes and seen revival break out in the church. I just haven't. And so Jesus was teaching there about paying taxes, but the disciples, they didn't have that on their mind at all. I'm glad to know that even Jesus, as a preacher, preached sermons that folks were not interested in sometimes. That's not what these disciples had on their heart. There was a question that had been plaguing them. And they probably had been whispering about it among themselves for quite a while. But now they get the nerve. I mean, they just come right out and blurt it out to Jesus. Lord, we want to know and we want to know now. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now you can imagine what they were thinking. Is it Peter? Is it John? Is it that one? Is it me? I promise you, that's what they were thinking. Which one of us? I mean, we go with him everywhere. Every step he takes, we take that step. Every night he sleeps, we sleep beside him. Every meal he eats, we eat with him. We're with him. Surely he's going to pick one of us. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And here's an interesting thing. Jesus does not barbecue them. He doesn't even dress them down. He doesn't insult them. You know what he does? He answers them. And not only does he answer them, he does it in two ways. He gives them a visual answer, and then he gives them a verbal answer. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In response to that, here's a little boy over here. I don't know how old he is, but the Bible says he's a little child, just a, just a kid. 
I don't even know what he's doing there. He might be drawing in the mud. He might be shooting marbles if they had marbles back then. I don't know. I don't know what that kid's doing there. But they said, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus saw that little boy. said, son, come here. And I tell you, lickety-split, that little boy got there as fast as he could. One of the gospel writers says that he stood beside Jesus. Another gospel writer says he stood in front of Jesus. Another gospel writer says Jesus picked him up and held him in his arms. Well, which one was it? Yes. He comes, stands beside Jesus. Jesus puts him in the midst and then holds him up. And the disciples knew exactly what Jesus was doing. He was answering their question. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Here he is. I tell you, Jesus would not have shocked those disciples a bit more if he'd slapped them in the face and spit in their eye. They were shocked. They were astonished. You could just see their bottom jaw hitting the ground and the consternation in the lines of their forehead. You've asked me, who's the greatest in the kingdom of... Here he is. Now, in Jewish law, children didn't have any rights. Here was a little boy that had no legal standing. Here was a little boy, well, he'd never been to seminar or seminary training. He, he'd never preached a sermon. He'd never performed a miracle. How could this little boy, whose name is not even recorded in the Bible, how could he be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so that's what they were thinking. So Jesus goes on to explain to them why this is true. Jesus said, men, I'm not offended that you've asked me to be who's the greatest in the kingdom because I want you to be great in the kingdom. I want you to be great. I want you to be successful in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not talking about this prosperity gospel that so many television preachers talk about, you know, that it's the will of God for you to always be healthy and to always be rich. and all. That, That's a lot of nonsense. That, by the way, that, that message only floats in America. You can't go to Haiti and preach something like that. But God does want us to be successful in our Christian life. Billy Graham had a beautiful, wonderful black lady who sang for him in her latter years. She was a movie star, a Television star, Broadway star, wonderful Christian lady. Tell me your name. Ethel Waters. Ethel Waters, I was watching her on television one night, and she's, she made this statement. She said, honey, Jesus don't sponsor no flops. I like that. God wants you to be a success. God wants you to be great in your Christian life. But before that can happen, there are some things that are going to have to take place. Number one, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you must become childlike in your thinking. Now look at it there with me, if you will, in verse 3. 
And he said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted. Now who's he talking to? He's not talking to the masses. They've already left. He's talking to his disciples. These were men who were already converted. These were men who were already saved. There may be a veiled reference here to Judas, but I'm telling you, he's not speaking primarily to Judas. He's speaking to these other 11 disciples, and he's saying, you're going to have to become converted. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to have to be saved again. The word converted means changed. Every year, I, in the first week of December, I go to South Africa. One of my boys and I, we go there every year. We have uh, over 600 pastors who come in from the bush. We house them. We feed them. We don't charge them one dime. We're there with them for a week. We love on them. We preach to them. We pray with them. We have seminars instructing them. And uh, God, just, God just comes down and blesses us, I'm telling you. But I'll use a hair dryer, Okay. Now, if that bothers you, get over it. But when I take my hair dryer to South Africa, the power of their current won't operate in my hair dryer. So I had to go to Walmart and pick up something called a converter. And so I take that little converter and I plug it into their power supply and then I take my hair dryer and plug it into the other side of the converter and my hair dryer works fine. You see, the converter changes the current from what they use to the current that we use and that's what the word convert or converter or converted means. It means change. Jesus said, men, you've asked me about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and I want you to be great in the kingdom of heaven but there's some things about your life that are going to have to change and one of them is you're going to have to become childlike in your thinking. That little boy, he didn't say to Jesus, what do you want? He didn't say, well, let me finish what I'm doing. He didn't say, what did I get out of this? I mean, the minute Jesus called him, that little fellow as fast as he could, he came running to Jesus, and Jesus picked him up in his arm. You see, that little boy understood there's nothing in this world more wonderful, more thrilling, more precious than being close to Jesus. Little boys, they don't, they don't talk about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Little boys don't care about stuff like that. He just wanted to be close to the one who called him to come to him. Now, I did not say childish in your thinking. I have seven grandchildren. I have four in Las Vegas. My oldest son pastors the Hope Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. The North American Mission Board sent him out there 13 and a half years ago, their first service, they had 18. Now they run over 2,500 every week. And they've started 21 brand new churches in the West. And then I have the four grandchildren out there. I call them Skillet, Scooter, Skeeter, and Scamper. And then I have three grandchildren in Muscle Shoals. I call them Bear, Biscuit, and Bubbles. Well, my, my little one that I call Biscuit, he's got such soft white cheeks. He's, uh, he's nine now, but when he was a little four-year-old boy, he, he, he was a sweet little fella, and he could play all day long by himself. 
They love to come to our house. We've got a great big walk-in closet at our house, and it's full of toys. It looks like Walmart toy department. And they'll come in the door. Hey, Big Daddy. Hey, Big Mama. Uh, no, no, not Big Mama. Hey, Nana. They don't call her Big Mama. Hey, Big Daddy. Hey, Nana. And they'll run down the stairs and go in that closet, and here comes the stuff off. And he would play all by himself all day long. Sweet, sweet, spirited little fellow. But every once in a while, he would do something he shouldn't have done or behave in a way he shouldn't have behaved. And I'd say, Noah, stop that. And he would pitch a pout. That head would drop. That lip would come out. He'd fold his arms. And he was pouting. You know, there's something a little bit cute about a four-year-old boy pouting. There really is. But there ain't nothing cute about a 35-year-old woman pouting. (laughs) And there's not anything cute about a 50-year-old deacon pouting either. That's childish. But childlikeness in our thinking. Nothing is more wonderful. Nothing brings greater satisfaction than just being close to Jesus. Secondly, Jesus said, not only you have to become childlike in your thinking, you're going to have to become humble in your spirit. Look in verse 4. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humility. What is humility? Well, first of all, it's not anything external. I have some preacher friends, all they ever do is wear black. I mean, they wear black suits, black tie, black sock, black shoes. I'm convinced their underwear is black. I mean, it's all of They just wear black, walk around kind of stoop shoulder. Why do you do that? Well, we're just trying to be humble. Some, some ladies, they, they wear their skirts down to their ankles, their, their sleeves come down to their wrists, and they don't wear any makeup at all, and their hair's in a beehive on top of their head. Why do you do that? Well, we're just trying to be humble. That's not humble, that's ugly. <laughs> I'm telling you, beloved, uh, a little, a little pain will help any old barn have at it. Help yourself. <laughs> Humility is not anything external. Humility is internal. Humility is coming to grips with my nothingness in light of his everything. Jesus said, without him, we can do nothing. He went a step beyond that, said, without him, we are nothing. And that's the nothing of nothingness. But he's everything. He's Lord and Master and Savior and Redeemer and King. and He's everything. And so that's what humility is. It's me coming to grips with my nothingness in light of his everything. One of my favorite preachers is Bill Stafford. Bill 
has Alzheimer's and his mind is not doing very well. But Bill, I've heard him preach many times. He said, you cannot, you cannot strut your way to Calvary. Humility. He also says, I know some people that can strut while they're sitting down. <laughs> Beloved, it's not all about us. It's all about Him. Sometimes folks get so bent out of shape. Something will happen in church and they won't like it. I don't like that music. I don't like that preaching. I don't like the color of the carpet. I want it orange and not blue. I don't like, and they get this. Well, I'll tell you right now, I'm just going to take my money and I'm not going to give and that church cannot survive without my money. Well, just die and we'll see. <laughs> Folks, none of us are unreplaceable. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about him. So Jesus said, you want to be great? I want you to be great. But you're going to have to become childlike in the way you think. And you're going to have to become humble in your spirit. And then he says one last thing. He says, you're going to have to become genuine in your faith. Look what he says there in verse 6. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe, believe in me. You know, the, the New Testament is an interesting document. And the more I read it, the more I see. Every time I read it, I find something brand new. I, I'm sure I read it before, but it didn't register before. But one of the things I have come to understand is that in the New Testament, hardly anybody ever impressed Jesus. <laughs> that, we just, that just goes against our grain. And if I, want to, I want Jesus to be impressed with me. Well, he's not. I mean, he just didn't get impressed with people. You remember old Nicodemus? Nicodemus, the Bible says he was a ruler of the, of the Jews and he came to Jesus by night because he didn't want anybody to see him coming. And so he comes to Jesus and the first thing he does, he tries this flattery. Oh, we know you're a teacher come from God. Nobody can do the things that I do except God be with him. And what do you think Jesus is going to do? Oh, thank you so much. No, Jesus interrupts him and says, you must be born again. I mean, Jesus didn't get impressed with very many people. Back in the eighth chapter of Matthew, Jesus was going from one place to another, and a man comes to him. He wasn't a Jew. He was a Roman soldier, a centurion, sort of like a lieutenant or a first sergeant. Had a hundred men under him. And this Roman soldier comes to Jesus and he said, Jesus, uh, I have a servant at home. And it's not the normal master-servant kind of a deal. I, I really like this guy. We're friends. I love him. I care a lot about him. But he's very, very ill. Would you heal my servant? And Jesus said, well, I'd be glad to. Come on, let's go to your house. And that Roman soldier, that Roman centurion says, Jesus, 
I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy that you should come to my house. If you will just speak the word here, it will be done over there. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says Jesus marveled. That means he was absolutely astonished. He was caught off guard. He, he was taken back. And he said this. He said, I have not seen such great faith in all Israel. You see, that which gets the attention of God is not our money. Not our creativity, not our ingenuity, not our power, not our influence, not the house we live in, nor the car we drive, nor whose name is on the back of our blue jeans. I'm telling you, that which gets the attention of God and brings forth His full, undivided look toward us is our faith. Genuine faith. Trusting Him, whate'er befall, trusting Jesus, that is all. Jesus said, men, you want to be great? I want you to be great. I really do. Jesus says to me, says to everybody in this room, I want you to be a success in your Christian life. I want you to, I want you to be great in your Christian life. But it means you have to become childlike in your thinking. And humble in your spirit. And genuine in your faith. Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're a little boy, a little girl, and you remember the first thing that I shared with you out of this text. Boys and girls can be saved. There's not a boy and girl in this room that Jesus doesn't love. And there's not a boy and girl in this room that Jesus did not die for. And if you'll come, give your heart to Christ. Parents, you might want to come with them. Just come with them. You can come. Boys and girls, you're welcome here. You're welcome. You're invited. You can come tonight and give your life to Jesus. And maybe there's some older folks here, and I don't mean senior adults, though they're included. Teenagers, young adults, middle-aged adults, senior adults. Maybe there's some here, and you look over your Christian life, and it's just mediocre. You never really see the power of God operating in your life. You never really sense an overwhelming awareness of His presence as you move throughout the day. Maybe there's something wrong with the way you've been thinking. Maybe there's something wrong about the, the pride in your spirit. Maybe there's something missing in your faith in Him. And you ought to just come tonight to this altar and say, Dear God, more than anything else in this world, I want to be successful in my Christian life. I may be a failure in business. I may be a failure in other 
enterprises, but as a Christian, I want to be a success for your glory. Would you stand with me? Lord, once again, we've, uh, we've just dived into your word and <clears throat> tried to pull out nuggets of truth that would encourage and bless and strengthen and uplift the weary child of God. Maybe there's somebody here tonight, Lord, who's just discouraged. and They feel like a failure don't see any way in the world their faith could be a success. No one would ever think of them as being great in the kingdom. But Lord, it doesn't have to be like that. Lord, maybe there's some who ought to come to this altar tonight and change the way they think. There ought to be some, perhaps, who ought to come and just humble themselves. Say, Lord, I've made it about me and it's not about me, it's about you. And maybe there's some who ought to come and say, Lord, my faith, my faith is not what it needs to be. And tonight, I come to make a fresh recommitment. And Lord, maybe there's a sweet little boy, a little girl, who've been thinking about being saved. Maybe they've talked to their parents about it. Maybe they haven't talked to anybody about it. And maybe they've wondered, can, can I really be saved? And can I really give my heart to Jesus? Will He really accept me? And Lord, You said You would. And for those boys and girls here tonight who just need to be saved, would You give them a gentle, sweet nudge in their heart that they might just come forward? And Lord, there may be a teenager, maybe an adult, who needs to do the same thing. They, they were not saved as a child and they haven't been saved since. But I pray that tonight they'd come trusting only in Jesus, nothing else. Trusting Him to be their Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We stand together and we sing just as I am. Will you come right now? Come on. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.